This is a podcast from the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We're in the month of November 2022, and it seems pretty clear this is going to be a year to forget for many investors. With major central banks around the world raising interest rates to curb levels of inflation we haven't seen for about 40 years, asset prices have been under pressure across the board. The Straits Times Index has been relatively resilient. The local benchmark index is actually up 1.3% since the beginning of this year. On the other hand, the S&P 500 is down about 21.4% year-to-date. I'm not expecting things to improve anytime soon, even though some market watchers are expecting the pace of interest rate hikes by the US Federal Open Market Committee to slow in the months ahead. My own view is that the Fed will maintain its tightening stance until US inflation shows convincing signs of rolling back, and things might get really ugly before that happens. On the plus side, this is an interesting time for bargain hunters with a long-term view because lots of really exciting stocks are falling out of the stratosphere. One stock that I've written about recently is Match Group, which owns a number of well-known dating apps, including Tinder. Since the beginning of this year, shares in Match Group have lost nearly 70% of their market value. In fact, Match Group has been one of the worst performing components of the S&P 500 this year. In this podcast, I will talk about my own personal experience with dating apps and why I think Match Group has a lot of growth potential. I'll talk about the recent financial performance of the company and the outlook for 2023, and I'll delve into what could drive its long-term growth. I've never mentioned this before because it was never relevant, but I'm a 53-year-old single heterosexual man with a reasonably active dating life. And I recently realized that gives me a rare perspective on the impact of technology on the dating scene. Many people of my age were already married or in serious relationships even before the advent of the internet in the mid-1990s. And many millennials I know were also married or in serious relationships before dating apps became a thing around 2012, which is when Tinder was created. So very few of them have any real experience with dating apps. In fact, having a profile on a dating app would probably land them in trouble with their partners. On the other hand, my younger newsroom colleagues, those who are in their 20s, tell me dating apps are very much a part of their lives, and it's how most of them seek out romantic partners. For this group of digital natives, the concept of internet dating is much like the idea of mobile phones. What other kind is there? They're aware of the toxic behavior of some users of these apps, and they know about the stigma that was associated with online dating initially, but they don't seem to have any hang-ups about it. So I've come to realize that the manner in which people socialize and find romantic partners is constantly evolving, and the emergence of dating apps are just the latest development in that evolution. A study published in 2019 by academics at Stanford University and the University of New Mexico pointed out that Before dating apps came along, most heterosexuals in the United States met their romantic partners through their networks of friends. In fact, the so-called intermediation of one's friends played an increasingly important role in the decades following the Second World War, as fewer and fewer people met through family connections or the churches and schools they attended. With strong economic growth and social mobility and urbanization, 
Networks of friends, both close friends and distant friends, were overwhelmingly how people met and formed relationships. Of course, more and more people were also meeting through their co-workers and at bars and restaurants and so on, which you would expect as people moved from rural areas to the cities in search of employment opportunities. But as with so many things, the internet has quickly changed that. In fact, the 2019 study found that by 2013, the proportion of heterosexual couples in the United States who met online eclipsed the proportion who met through their networks of friends. So by 2017, about 39% of heterosexual couples in the United States were meeting online, up from just 2% in 1995. Only 20% were meeting through their networks of friends in 2017, down from 33% in 1995. Other traditional ways of meeting romantic partners were also steadily falling. Family connections accounted for just 7% of meetings in 2017, down from 15% in 1995. Co-workers were responsible for 11% of meetings, down from 19%. Why are people placing their trust in profit-oriented businesses instead of their own family and friends and co-workers? The obvious answer is that popular dating apps offer much larger pools of potential romantic partners than one's friends or family. And a platform that does a good job of pairing up people would naturally draw more and more participants. Speaking for myself, another reason people are going online is that dating platforms do not judge their desires and dating choices. Anyone who has had to explain to friends or relatives why a date they brokered did not work out will know what I mean. Now, as I said earlier, I'm still single, so I cannot personally claim these apps are a surefire way of finding your other half. It's entirely possible that a system of dating that is mediated by one's friends and family has a better chance of creating long and happy marriages than the algorithms used by dating apps. But the evidence seems to be that young people, and indeed not so young people like me, who are looking for romantic partners, prefer to use dating apps instead of solely relying on their friends. So the way I see it, online dating is only just beginning to go mainstream, and Match Group is a good way for investors to ride this emerging social trend. As I mentioned earlier, the company owns a portfolio of dating apps, including Tinder, which is its main revenue driver. Its other dating apps include its namesake Match.com, which was launched way back in 1995. Other long-established brands in its fold are Meetic, Plenty of Fish, and OkCupid. One very promising and fast-growing brand that Match acquired not long ago is Hinge, which I'll talk about later. Match also has several apps targeted at specific demographics. For instance, its BLK app is targeted at black single men and women, while its Chispa app is aimed at the Hispanic community. There's an app for the Christian community called Upward and one for single parents called Stir. Match also recently acquired The League, which is a platform for highly ambitious, career-oriented singles. Last year, Match also acquired South Korea's HyperConnect for more than $1.7 billion US dollars in cash and shares. HyperConnect is a video technology company and operates two social discovery apps called Azar and Hakuna. Match plans to integrate HyperConnect's video and audio technologies into its various brands. So Match Group is constantly developing and enlarging its portfolio of dating apps, and the results have been pretty good. Its revenue has grown by more than 20% per year over the last five years to hit nearly $3 billion US dollars last year. The company also claims that more than half of all relationships that started on a dating platform began on one of its brands. So why has Match Group's stock performed so poorly this year? 
Is the big sell-off it has suffered really an opportunity or a sign of trouble on the horizon? I'm going to talk about that next. The Business Times' future of finance is focused on the digital economy. Taking a closer look at topics around acceleration of digital forms of banking, both retail and wholesale. Asset tokenization is absolutely important for Singapore. Mr. Ravi Menon, he summed it up very, very well. He said asset tokenization has transformative potential, not unlike securitization when it happened 50 years ago. The Business Times' future of finance podcast. Episode 2 out on Thursday, November 17th. We'll be speaking with Heng Kun Hao, Executive Director for Blockchain and Digital Assets at UOB, about future-proofing banking ahead of blockchain shockwaves. Listen at bt.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That's bt.sg slash podcasts. And now, back to Mark to Market from the Business Times. At the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned that the STI, the local market benchmark, has been quite resilient compared to the S&P 500. One reason for that is the long-term underperformance of the Singapore market and the relatively low valuations of Singapore stocks, which we've talked about before. In fact, the leading stocks in the local market are really 20th century businesses that are trying to maintain their relevance in a changing world. They aren't businesses that are actually changing the world. Whereas it's amazing to me how vibrant the US market is when it comes to tech-oriented growth stocks. While a lot of these stocks garnered excessive valuations during the years of ultra-loose monetary policy, they're coming back down to earth now as the Fed raises interest rates. But the slump in match group's share price this year hasn't been driven by rising interest rates and an unwinding of excessive valuations alone. The company has experienced quite a significant slowdown in revenue growth this year, which can be attributed to three key factors. First of all, the strengthening US dollar has been a real problem because a lot of match group's revenue comes from outside the US. So the company's revenues in markets like the UK and Japan suffer because of the conversion rate. Secondly, the macroeconomic backdrop for Match Group is beginning to sour with rising interest rates. In fact, the company has been sounding more and more concerned about this recently. Finally, the company warned earlier this year that disappointing execution of growth plans at Tinder will affect its revenue growth. This was already evident in its third quarter numbers. Dating apps like Tinder generate revenue by selling different levels of subscriptions to their users. Users of these platforms also make so-called a la carte purchases of certain perks that boost their chances of being matched with someone. For the first nine months of 2022, the company reported a more than 10% year-on-year increase in revenue to 2.4 billion US dollars. That doesn't sound all that bad. But the company is guiding for fourth quarter revenue of between 780 million US dollars and 790 million US dollars, which would put its full year revenue growth at well below 10%. On top of that, Match Group's overall profitability dipped during the year. This was partly due to increased amortization and impairment of intangible assets related to the acquisition of HyperConnect. Match Group also incurred significantly higher product development expenses in recent quarters. 
For the first nine months of 2022, the company reported a nearly 38% year-on-year decline in earnings to just over 277 million US dollars. It's probably also worth mentioning here that Match Group's balance sheet is not exactly brimming with cash, as at September 30, it had 398 million US dollars in cash and cash equivalents, but it also had some 3.9 billion US dollars in debt. So why am I even talking about Match Group? Despite its weaker revenue growth and reduced profitability, there have been some interesting developments at the company in recent months. Most interestingly, earlier this year in May, Match Group appointed Bernard Kim as its new CEO. This was an interesting choice. Kim was previously president of online gaming company Zynga, which he helped to expand significantly before it was sold to Take-Two Interactive earlier this year. His experience and expertise in online user retention and monetization strategies could be very useful in his new role at Match Group. Now, from his letters to shareholders of Match Group and his comments during the last two quarterly earnings calls, Kim seems to be quite confident of turning things around at Match Group and setting the company on a stronger growth trajectory. He has already made changes at Tinder's management team, which included the departure of its CEO, and temporarily taken charge of that key brand himself. He has described the problems at Tinder as short-term and fixable, and is indicating that things are set to improve in the quarters ahead. The company is also very optimistic about the growth potential of Hinge, which I mentioned earlier. This platform, which encourages users to be upfront about their dating intentions, has grown really strongly since Match Group acquired it. In fact, its revenue doubled last year to 197 million US dollars. Hinge is now being rolled out in many new language markets, especially in Europe. The user experience is also being improved, and a new subscription tier is being added, which could begin having a positive effect from early next year. More generally, Kim and his management team are very optimistic about the growth potential for the company's brands around the world, especially in the Asia-Pacific region, where dating app usage is currently running at about 18% versus 43% in North America and Europe. As more people use its various brands, Match Group stands a good chance of growing its pool of paying users, which currently stands at 16.5 million people. Looking into next year, the company is expecting revenue growth of between 5% and 10%, with year-on-year growth gradually accelerating as the year progresses. So, should investors swipe right on Match Group's shares? If there's one thing I've learned from using dating apps like Tinder and Hinge, it is to keep your expectations in check. Keep in mind that you're meeting people who are really complete strangers. Even if they are a suitable match, it takes time and effort to get to know somebody new and form a relationship. In my view, Match Group is worth getting to know. It doesn't have the online dating feel to itself, of course. There are lots of competitors out there, including Bumble, which is also listed in the US. But its portfolio of brands and its track record suggests to me that it will deliver stronger growth going forward. And after the steep decline they have suffered, shares in Match Group are beginning to look attractive, in my view. Just before this podcast recording, the company's market capitalization had slipped below 12 billion US dollars, which is about 32 times its annualized earnings for the first nine months of 2022. That's not to say the stock won't fall further in the months ahead, but much like hunting for a romantic partner, you won't succeed without taking a risk. I'm senior correspondent Ben Paul, and that's it for this episode of Mark to Market. That was a podcast from the Business Times. 
Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast or, via the Google Voice Assistant Amazon-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3 you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.